The Pinball Network is online. Launching The Pinball Show. Pinball is a game of skill. For some, it's a passion and a lifestyle. It's time for The Pinball Show. It's pinball with personality. Pinball Show Interview Series, Episode 4. I'm your host, Matt Morrison. When you first see a machine, it's the artwork that catches your eye and draws you in for a closer look. It can also be a make or break for some collectors. In all my conversations with former Bally Williams employees, John Yalsey's name came up time and time again as a mind-blowing and unbelievably talented artist. I was lucky enough to sit down and get an hour with John, where we talk about past, present, and his future in pinball art, some really cool Bally Williams tidbits, and much more. So let's dive in. Welcome to the show, John. Are you doing all right today? Yeah, thank you, Matt. I'm doing well. Willy Wonka, you know, in the expo seminar, the assets that I guess Warner Brothers gave you, um, were they fairly limited? I know the, the quality was low, but, you know, how, how, how did that go? Um, well, yeah, the quality was low for the most part. We had a few good images, and then um, I ended up doing, like, screen grabs from a Blu-ray version for a lot of this stuff, you know? So honestly, it wasn't, it was pretty bad. It was poor, um, especially in this, these, this day and age, you know, like I worked on Tron and of course that was a super high res um, style guide and Shrek I had a great style guide on, you know, um, but this was very low res. Um, for the major characters, it was, wasn't bad. Major meaning Willy Wonka. <laughs> <laughs> right. That, that was it. For anybody else, it was basically what you would see on your display if you, you know, if you watch a Blu-ray on the computer. And if you try to blow it up, like say for a cabinet or a side blade or a play field, you know, it's really big. It just fell apart. Um, and Warner Brothers had rules. By the way, it was the license was Warner Brothers, and in the middle, Time Warner got involved, and there was like a dynamics of who we worked with changed. So it's oh, wow. like, um, it was it was a little bit rough there for a while. It wasn't horrible, you know, but just getting approvals and everything. Every time I submitted something, it was somebody different, you know. But anyway, I wasn't allowed to paint on anything, right? I wasn't allowed to, which is what I do, you know. I, yeah. <laughs> um, so even if even if the style guide, if it's bad style guide, I'll paint over the portraits, you know, um, you know, just res up the hair and stuff. So for example, like. The major characters that were always on screen, big, full screen, you know, they weren't that bad, but they need some tweaking. But if you get the Oompa Loompas, 
they were always in the background almost, you know? So I had, right. that was just pitiful, the images I had. So I didn't know it, but we only had permission to use two of those guys. And so I did paintings of the other two. And I found out that um, I got one guy there at Warner Brothers I could work with that just kind of said, don't ask, don't tell, you know? <laughs> Don't, we don't want to know what you're doing, you know. He didn't. He didn't say that, but I noticed that things went great, you know, as long as it was him. Right. He went away on vacation, and so, someone else was in charge, and they like, they were terrible. He just said, "You can't do that. You can't do this," you know. And we just decided to wait till our guy was back, you know. So, in the end, it worked out okay. Like I say, we get spoiled by these high res style guides, and um, fortunately, it all it all worked out pretty good. Were they really specific in in how, like, could you only use Gene Wilder, like, in a certain position? I wasn't sure if, like, you weren't allowed to, like, you know, take other clips of, like, how he was standing and stuff. Like, you know, did you have to go specifically by, like, one shot or two? Well, they had one really great shot of him that you see everywhere. And then another one that was pretty good. And then a few more that were okay. But I was free to go grab things, you know, if I wanted to. But if they were low res, you just, you know, nobody would like it, you know. <laughs> yeah, I used those those really high res images for him, like on the cabinet side, the back glass, places like that, you know, the center of the play field. And yet still, <laughs> I had to I had to paint, like, it might just be his head, like the image they gave us might just be the head from the neck down, you know. And I needed a full body, you know. <laughs> so, so I had to, like, I posed for some of the stuff. I used my hands and... And then I painted over the top of that so it worked. Same with his vest. I had to clone in some vest stuff, you know. But he was, as far as Gene went, Gene Wilder, we had the best images from for him. And when you're doing that kind of license work with the style guide, do you take the, the image and, you know, kind of paint over it? Or do you have to kind of recreate it from scratch and, and, and go from there? Well, I never try to create it from scratch. No matter how low res... And for, like I say, for Gene, it was really good. You know, I did a little bit of touch up just for lighting and stuff like that, you know, or where I had a clone in his body, you know. I always start with something because when you submit it, you have to give the inventory number of that part or of that image. Oh, when okay. When it's submitted to the licensor, you, you include that. And then with some of the submissions, I had to show the step by step where with the, when the Opal Lump is at the very beginning, I didn't know these rules about. They don't want you to touch it, you know? So I explained yeah. how I start with this low-res image of the Oompa Loompas, and I did a drawing, like a digital drawing over the top of the photos, and I showed it, like, step-by-step, step, and then the end product, you know? And right. That was, I can't remember the guy's name. I couldn't say it anyway, really, you know, but um, he saw that, and he bought it. He accepted it, you know, and, and went with it, you know? But I'm trying to think, I don't think I did anything other than, like, flowers and things like that and background stuff that was um, things like that, like not characters though. I've never, at least not for, for that game, did I ever create my own character. Too risky. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that would probably get rejected pretty quick, wouldn't it? Yeah, I would have no no uh, resource or inventory number to back me up. Gotcha. That's interesting. I never heard the, the bit about the inventory number. So that's, that's something that's really cool. I'd never heard that before. And kind of coming off that, when you were, you know, doing games for Stern from like the, 
2000 to 2014, starting with, with Sharkies. You know, I know a lot of Sharkies was like airbrush still. And um, yeah, good for you. <laughs> you know that. Yeah, well, you know, I did listen to um, some of your expo talks, so I, I was trying to, you know, get my research and everything, right. <laughs> so so I knew what I was doing. But um, as we, you know, kind of moved into to Tron and um, and Mustang, mm -hmm. was was that something as they went more digital? Um, is that something the licensors wanted it to match their other like product lines? Like, you know, um, Ripley's has that look like if you see one of their, you know, other items like on a store shelf or if you go to the actually believe it or not museum, it looks just like that game yeah. or like roll, roller coaster tycoon. Like that's exactly what it looks like. Were they prohibitive and in, in you like kind of doing your own thing? Did you have to still kind of match up with the style guide? Those, those games were better. Uh, really? Yeah, they were better. Like Mustang, Ripley's and what was the other one you mentioned? Uh, roller coaster roller tycoon. Coaster. Yeah. Okay, roller coaster tycoon. Um, I I painted from scratch with roller coaster tycoon, just emulating their poses and stuff like that. But I remember creating an airbrushed file. I mean, digital airbrushed file. Right. For that, um, that you know, you start with white paper or like a white background, and I uh, had a drawing and everything. Um, for uh, Ripley's, it was kind of they were easy. They were easy. <laughs> Mustang was pretty easy too, where I ordered models of cars and I did the same thing with NASCAR. I ordered the best, you know, reproductions I could get and I'd photograph them with a wide angle lens and, um, and I'd paint over the photos if I could, you know, um, some of them was just pure paint. So those, those were easier. There were, you know, there were no real celebrities involved in, in those, you know, that's a good point. Yeah, it's it's basically a, a car or, uh, yeah. you know, uh, inanimate objects of some kind. You know, um, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking right now, though, that a roller, roller Coaster Tycoon, the back glass is an airbrushed painting on illustration board. Oh, cool. Yeah. Is it hard to lay out those types of play field, you know, even because it's kind of a license, but you have more freedom? Or do you find it, you know, easier than, say, like Willy Wonka was? I think the principles are the same. At least for me, I'm working on the play field. I try to solve some problems right away, and they're design problems. Um, and I call I call the the area above the flippers the heart of the play field. That's just me, you know. Sure. That's the biggest problem to solve right there. So I, I would try to do that no matter what I had a style guide or a sketch or whatever I was doing, you know. And so it wouldn't really affect that. You know, probably if you're just drawing from scratch, you know, like dialed in. I did a ton of a ton of drawing on that, and I had a lot of time to work on it too. You know, so there was a lot of uh, false leads, and um, uh, our our objectives changed a little bit. You know, at the beginning, I think the principles, like I'm re I'm really strong, uh, are really firm and strong at the be that beginning stage of designing a play field or doing the artwork for a play field. I don't design the play field, I do the artwork for them. Um, of solving these problems of getting the, so the player, you know, the artwork should lead the player to the shots, you know? And so I'm sure. very aware of lanes, um, of important shots, of that heart of the play field, of the out lanes, you know, all that kind of stuff. And if there's any upper flippers, you know, the upper flippers always interrupt the flow of your, of my artwork, you know? So yeah, right. Pretty, uh, like a railroad crossing barrier there or something, you know? So that's, that's a problem to solve. And, you know, you just keep it loose at the beginning, keep it very loose because you know that play field is going to change, you know, like a lot. 
<laughs> it's gonna, You're right. It's going to be changes until the very end, you know, and, and still more after that, probably, you know. I would imagine that would be like super difficult to kind of, you kind of have the heart of the play field figured out above the flippers, that, you know, centerpiece shot. And then you're, you're kind of defining lanes, but at the same time, you don't want to put too much in, but then I feel like you probably get towards the end of the cycle and it's like, Oh boy, we got to fill up the rest of this, you know, now that it's finalized. That's true. You know, and um, like, I may know what's at the heart of the play field and I may know what's way up, like in a, um, way in the back of the play field, you know, but I might not know what's in the middle. I have to figure out a transition, you know, um, you can do it graphically or you can have a gradation where it goes from the sky into, into whatever, you know, but that's always, yeah, you're, you're dealing with, I'm dealing with that all the time throughout the whole process, you know, and right now the game I'm working on now, like the art, the play field artwork has been done for some time, but I'm looking up corners proofs right now and I'm, I'm going to be making a few, they're not art tweaks. It's just suggestions for the printer, you know? Yeah. And speaking of kind of filling in the blanks on back to Wonka, you know, there's all those tiny little LEDs like, yeah. you know, next to Gene Wilder. It's like, was that a nightmare to work around those? Well, when I heard it, I, I thought it might be, you know, but I, I, I get it, you know, it's, it's kind of a cool thing. And Oh, it looks great. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. So I, you know, I, I go with it. I, I figure it's my job to solve that problem. You know, if the designer comes up with something, I, I would never say, oh, that's going to wreck the art. I would never say that, you know. <laughs> um, it's just, you've got to solve that problem, you know, and make it work somehow. Yeah, and, I, and I'm sure with your experience, it probably wasn't as much of a challenge. I mean, is there anything that comes to you at this point that you're like, oh, boy, that is going to be really hard to tie all this together? You know, I, I've learned not to panic. You're right. <laughs> I've just done this so much. And I remember when I was first getting out of art school and I had my first jobs, you know, first maybe I was doing an ad for Coca-Cola and I'm like, you know, 21 years old, you know. And a year earlier I was in life drawing class, you know. Um, and I remember getting real nervous and about it, you know. That, oh, millions of people are going to see this artwork and I get all uptight. And then I thought my brother Mike, he was in med school in Chicago, and I thought, you know, if he screws up, someone could die. You know? <laughs> well, what's going to happen, you know? Right. It takes the pressure off you. Yeah, that's a good point. It's not heart lung machines, you know, where you're, we're dealing with it if you're making a pinball machine. I mean, there's a lot of people that rely on you and you want it to be as good as possible. But yeah, you, know, fact, you can relax a little bit. Exactly. You know, I can remember saying when I <laughs> it'd be like two in the morning and I, and I was having a big problem with something, you know, and I, I would just say to myself, hey, it's only pinball, you know, <laughs> and it should be fun. You know, when you look at it, yeah, there should be a, it should be fun. Absolutely. You know, working on a, a new game now and, and with Wonka, has anybody, you know, um, at Jersey Jack ever told you like to, you know, to maybe remove artwork around the, uh, the post there, there's a lot of stuff in the industry, not just Jersey Jack, but Stern, um, where, where the artwork is lifting around the post and it's causing like chipping, and I was curious, you know, Stern went in and they, they kind of removed the artwork around the post. And I didn't know if, if anybody had asked you to do that at any point. Um, you know, there, there was talk about that. You know, the safe way to do that is just we trap those holes. And you can so that just means like putting a black line around them. You can offset that stroke or that path so it comes out further so it doesn't interfere. Or it's just further away from the hole, you know. So, sure. I, I remember doing that, you know, um, but stuff like this happens all the time, you know, and um, you just adjust on the fly and go with it. I don't, 
I don't remember too many details about that. Uh, yeah, I wasn't sure if they were going to kind of revisit that idea, you know, uh, with some of the issues they've been having recently. Yeah. So um, with with Stern going into the more digital realm uh, as you were there, was was that something that everybody was kind of expecting? Was was the times just changing artistically um, to do a more digital Photoshop style? Uh, is that kind of what they would ask of you? Or you, was that as an artist you were transitioning as well? That's it right there. Um and I was kind of late to the game, mainly because of pinball. I could deliver traditional artwork. And this all came crashing down right when pinball crashed. Like il illustration for a lot of illustrators, they were already out of business because they, had, they hadn't adapted to digital. Um, right. And um, I had pinball. So pinball, you know, Williams Valley would still take my original paintings, you know. So I got away with that until they closed their doors. <laughs> And it's funny, but I had the Kool-Aid account. I would I would illustrate that Kool-Aid guy, you know, and the Scrubbing Bubbles guy, you know. The, the Kool-Aid account, it would jump around from agency to agency, you know, so I've been doing it for a couple of years. And I got a message that they didn't want any more original artwork. And so Pinball had crashed, you know, and I got that message and, and I could, you know, I could watch my income just going down, 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 right. down, you know. I kind of had a panic mode there. Um, for about a year, and I did learn to go digital. I did. I had people helping me. Uh, Paul Barker from uh, Williams, he'd come out on weekends, you know, and I'd have like a legal pad with questions. And because I, I could do the, I don't know why they call Adobe Illustrator, Illustrator, because it's a math program, you know. <laughs> I'm really bad at math. And Photoshop is what you paint in, you know. So right. once I once I accepted the fact that I'm not going to be that great at Illustrator. I'll work in Photoshop. You know, it was easier. Um, but it took about a year. And um, what I did, what, what really got me through was uh, I bought an, a really good quality Epson scanner. So I kept on airbrushing and just would scan my airbrush paintings. And then I, so <laughs> then I had digital files. And I started retouching them in Photoshop, you know, up on the color or just coming in and doing shadows or whatever, you know. And just slowly over the course of that year, year and a half, you know, I, I just got better and better at it. And I was still doing my sketches by hand for about three or four years. And then I got comfortable sketching on the computer. Once I came out with a Wacom Cintiq, which is a pressure sensitive display, very intuitive to work on that. Once that came out, the nervousness all went away and I just felt like I'm back. You know, I can like I can hold the stylus and actually paint on the display, you know. Um, yeah, that's amazing because we kind of take those for granted now. Like I see, you know, all the pinball artists using those, uh, was it Wicom tablets? Yeah. And yeah, yeah, you know, whether it's Zombie Yeti or uh, uh, Chris Franchi, you know, it seems like they're all using those. Or even Greg, I guess, Ferris, he, you know, he probably uses one now. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess that intermediate period was probably pretty difficult, you know. It took a while. You know, I thought about this when I was walking the dogs before, before our talk here. And because I knew we were going to talk about digital and traditional artwork. And, you know, it, things would be a lot better for me if there was no digital, if it never happened, <laughs> you know, because instantly, if you're an illustrator or a retoucher or, you know, a hand lettering artist, you know, you go from like being, uh, and maybe you mastered it, like kind of like a violinist masters the violin, you know, it's like somebody comes in, takes your violin, smashes it over their knee and says, we don't need your stinking violin anymore. <laughs> and you're, you're just kind of less hanging, you know? So in the, in the end, I, I do like digital and um, I still paint for myself. I paint traditionally. I do 
I'll be painting tomorrow with a group of friends painting landscapes, you know, just with no cameras, no nothing, just standing out there painting, you know? Yeah. And I see your Facebook posts with those and I'm like, that's so awesome. Yeah. It seems like, you know, you're able to work in so many different mediums, whether it's, you know, acrylic or, you know, <laughs> digital or airbrush. And, uh, you know, I, I felt kind of dumb when I first started looking into this. I didn't realize how much of, of your pinball work was airbrush because the detail is so fine. I was like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that was possible, you know. Yeah. that's And then they took it and broke it over my knee. <laughs> <laughs> Get that out of here. We don't need your stinking airbrush, you know. So was all of dialed in done uh, digital? Oh yeah, wow, that's all digital. Yeah. I I did some sketches at the beginning, like regular digital sketches, just because to free my thinking. And I've always done this, like at the beginning, because that was an original theme. I had to do like blue sky thinking. So was, I learned this in art school, like when you were assigned something like that. Um, they told us to do these thumbnail sketches, and they wanted us to do ten thumbnail sketches in like ten minutes, you know. So you don't invest a lot of time in it, you know. And I'll tell you, that is a great lesson yeah. <laughs> and creative right. thinking, you know. So I still do those. I do them digitally now, usually, you know, but uh, every now and then I just, you know, I still have my original drawing board here from 1972, you know, sitting right next to me. Yeah. And speaking of some of, of the landscape stuff you did, uh, did you enjoy, I, I know you had done a lot of the big buck hunter games, uh, not only the, the pinball machine, but the, you know, the arcades. Do, did you enjoy doing those games? Because there's more um, wildlife scenes. I loved it. I loved yeah. it. Um, yeah. Let me tell you, I was I was doing, well, I knew the guys from Play Mechanics because George Petro, he was from Williams. So I got called over there. They This was, this was at that transition when nobody wanted digital, right? Or no, no, nobody wanted traditional. So they were offering me work and they had six games for me to work on. And I went over there. I was working on six slots, but they were working on the very first Big Buck Hunter. And my timing may be a little bit off here, like maybe it didn't happen until later on the third or fourth visit or something, you know. But eventually they called me in to show me Big Buck Hunter. They, they knew I was – I'm a bow hunter, or at least I used to bow hunt deer in northern Illinois. And, um, and I, loved, I loved a lot of things about it that I didn't see in their game, and they wanted to know, was there anything we could do? And the game was very – to me, it appeared just clinical, you know, very, um, it was missing the atmosphere and the little things that happen when you're, when you're, when you're deer hunting. And um, one of them was weather, you know, like I told them, I said, I will wake up at three in the morning if it's foggy or rainy. It's like a caveman instinct that wakes you up because that's when, the, that's when the hunting is really good. So they added stuff like that. And I, I told them how I once had an owl almost land on my shoulder, you know, it, there's fox walking by carrying rabbits and stuff. You know, I told them all this stuff. So they, they put a lot of that in the game, um, which was cool. And then, so I wasn't working on that first one. But later on, when they did the second one, I got called in to do that, to do the work on it. And then I ended up doing like three or four of those. And then IGT, I was working for IGT doing slots. And they did a big buck hunter slot machine. So I got to do it all again, you know. <laughs> oh, that's cool. You haven't seen that one. Yeah, it actually had shotguns on the slot machine. <laughs> Can you imagine in a casino? I, I hope it cocks when I let it go of the handle or whatever. It's oh, like, yeah. you know. There was a lot of talk about that. I don't, I, I doubt that there's any left in casinos. This would have been like in 2010 or something, you know. Right, right. But yeah, I loved all that. Um, I'm Mother Nature's kid, you know. I just like animals. And yeah, painting all. Of that. There's something, yeah, about the those 
especially the bad glass on the, the pinball machine or, or just some of the later big buck games. I, you, I can tell it's yours and it's really inspired. Like, you know, I grew up, you know, obviously in North Carolina and, yeah, outdoors was always a big thing. So like as, as soon as I saw that artwork, I was like, wow, this is like, <laughs> this guy really loves it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. You, you definitely have an eye for it. It's fun to work on, that's for sure. It was fun to go to work. You know, I, I remember there was a prairie. We lived out in the country. There was a prairie right across the street from where I lived. So I'd be over there photographing like reference material for it, you know, happy to be doing it. Right, right. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, I'm going to transition back to the Bally Williams days. I know a lot of people are uh, wanting to hear some stuff from that era. When you got there, you know, you, I think Jokers was like the first thing you did with the back glass on Jokers. Yeah. Um, right. So you worked on Jokers, Bugs Bunny, uh, you know, Bride of Pinbot, Hurricane, mm -hmm. and all those were kind of Python collaboration games. Now, did Python do the play fields and you did all like the back glasses? Yeah, at the beginning, when I first came, when I first got called into Williams, um, and by the way, I didn't want to do pinball. <laughs> <laughs> right. I did not want to, I don't, you know, that story, I'm not going to go elaborate on it, but um, but I ended up getting in there and um, I had a meeting with Ken Fidesna, who, um, you know, I can't remember his title. Uh, he was president of game designer of, of whatever but he was he was way up there he's and he's a great guy by the way we're still friends um but i got called in to meet with him and on the way back to his office they had all these there were like parts of games in the hallway and stuff and, and i'm looking at what i i didn't know at the time but was python's paintings that were framed on the wall and i'm looking at the play fields and the cabinet art and all that you know and i was real busy doing advertising artwork you know I didn't really need to do pinball at the time. Um, and I didn't realize till later when I, when I finished my first game, how much I missed it, you know, but it scared me. It scared me the volume of work. And I thought this is going to tie me up. You know, I'm not going to be able to do those McDonald's things, you know, <laughs> and United airline billboards or whatever. I'm going to be busy doing this stuff. And so, um, Ken talked me into just doing a back glass. He says, you can just do back glasses or you can just do a back glass for us. And, I thought in my head, I'm thinking, okay, I, I worked for a company, Album Graphics, just doing album covers for five years. That's all I did. And I thought a back glass is just like a big album cover, you know? <laughs> and I thought I could do that in my sleep. So um, I agreed to do Jokers, and I got right away on the spot. Once I agreed, I'm not kidding, like five minutes later, I'm in Python's office. He's <laughs> just sitting there waiting for him. He, he was out for a long lunch or something, you know? So I meet this crazy guy, Python, you know, who super energetic and I never, well, I went to art school, so I met some really eccentric people in my life. Um, but he was one of a kind. And I remember, cause I got, I got back there. Ken took me back into his office and Python was gone. And so he says, well, wait here, he'll be back. And Ken left. So there were drawings just hanging on the wall. Like he'd do a, a loose sketch, just like I do now, you know, you'll tape it to the wall, you know, and I'm looking at those and I, I, I was really impressed with what I saw. You know, they were not just, they were not mechanical drawings. They were flowing and beautiful and kind of had uh, a poetry in the line work and everything in the, in the half tones and stuff. So before I ever met him, at first I was scared by all that volume, but I saw his drawings, you know, and I realized they had something in common with him. And um, so that was, that was the beginning of it. I agreed to do Jokers and, and met Python all in one day. 
<laughs> what what was it like working with him? I, I, being so eccentric and and kind of uh, a little bit different. Um, well, I try to look at what we had in common, you know. And the way he talked, he represented my best interest. You know, he's going to get me more money. You know, he said right. he said we'll just do what we want to do. You know, <laughs> and, you know, it'll be pure art or you know pure pinball. You know. So I, I just went with it. You know, I, I, I realized I liked what I was doing. You know, I, I was happy to be doing that. And he was, sometimes he wasn't there. You know, he, he, he might be gone for a week or a month or three months sometimes, you know. Oh, wow. Um, later on, anyway, that, you know, that happened. But he had great ideas. He could draw. I mean, drawings would just roll off his fingertips. Like, on, I don't know if you've seen Police Force. I owned it. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I owned it too. And all those animals, the gators, alligators, and the lions and such like that. Yeah. And that stuff, he would just, he'd bang those out so fast. And for me, as an illustrator, I always needed photo research, you know. <laughs> or like I have, like, my, my the basement of my house was full of like National Geographics and books and magazines and everything, you know. And it was all organized. One of my kids would organize it. So if I needed, like a uh, dolphin or something, you know, I just go to the file cabinet, you know, and there was, he had it all organized for me. Um, but Python, cool. none of that stuff, just right out of the head, you know, bam. Wow. That's crazy. He, he was really good at that. You know, and, and police force had a, a bigger back box, almost like big guns. Um, was the more room nice to have, or did it, it, it was kind of just the same job for you? I mean, well, don't know. forget it was only my second game. <laughs> You know, Jokers and then Police Force was number two, as I recall, and it's just back glasses. I do remember that for both Jokers and Police Force, he didn't rush me. He says, you, you know, take your time, take your time. Well, then I got a call from Ken Fedezina or somebody, you know, and say, hey, we need this now. We have a assembly line ready to go waiting for your artwork, you know. So I had, I had to finish Jokers really fast. And the same way with Police Force, I remember painting those stores in the background, just working through the night like, two or three days in a row to, to get that done. That's 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 a, kind of how I remember it. Police Force is also the first game they actually gave me, you know. They call it giving you, and they really are giving it to you. But they would charge yeah. you a dollar. So <laughs> you charge a dollar. Otherwise, you would have to declare it as income, the full value of the game. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. 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 So it was sweet. Yeah. That is awesome. And was it hard to kind of, I mean, you're doing the bad glass. He's doing some of the play fields and cabinets. I mean, you have to be kind of a chameleon and, and, you know, make it look cohesive. Is that hard to do for you? I, I was worried about that uh, just because of what I've been doing, you know, um, in my illustration, you know, the hardcore advertising business, you know, but I, I mean, I, I'm not kidding. I still, I'm an older guy now, but I still think like a kid, you know, I almost got kicked out of high school for make drawing cartoons in class, you know, and sometimes I just think, Hey, just be that kid, you know, and it loosens you up to be that way, you know? And yeah. I was able to make, plus I sense, I sense this is different than doing Smucker's jam. You know, right. <laughs> this is an opportunity to, it was just fresh for me. It wasn't just kind of loosey goosey. And I knew I had the skills to, to paint it, you know? So I went with it and, you know, it worked out good. Yeah, that's what surprised me so much when I when I worked through your your catalog of so all the games you've done is that like 
you know, when I look at system 11, I kind of see a style it, until I realize, oh, wait, you did the backblast to this guy's game and you somehow you morphed into that style. And then and then it's like when we get to WPC, it's like, OK, I'm looking at Adam's family and Twilight Zone and Whitewater. And then I see you do Johnny Mnemonic. And I'm like, whoa, that's kind of different. You know, um, it, it's it's so amazing how you can kind of effortlessly or I say effortlessly. It, might, it was probably really hard, but you can kind of morph into these other styles, you know, and, 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 uh, what, and what you're right. It was not effortless. Um, and I remember like um, I would I was a big fan of Mad Magazine and I love Mark Drucker and some other guys that were in there, you know, so if I had to do some drawing like that, that was like on a play field or whatever, you know, some line art drawing, I would just go to school on those guys. I just go look at it for like an hour. You know, I'd look at their drawing, look at the teeth, look at the nose, look at the ears, you know, and I could, then I could, I could kind of emulate it a little bit and do my own version of it. And I didn't know I had developed a style till I was down at Williams and I was talking to, I don't know who it was, Doug Watson or someone or Pat McMahon or Greg, I don't know. And they said, well, you have a style. And I thought, I do? <laughs> I didn't even know it, you know? Um, but it, was just, it just evolved. And it all evolved right there because it wasn't, I wasn't being fed that kind of stuff in my other work, you know, but it, this was so welcome. Um, I did the, let's go back to like when I finished that first Joker's game. Sure. Um, and I'd done a couple back glasses and then Ken hooked me up with Pat. Um for whirlwind and yep. I can't remember which game I realized this, but I think it was whirlwind. Cause that was like six months of, of, cause I was doing everything now and I felt confident to do it all. But I remember when I finished it and I was all done and I just had my other work to do. I was on the phone calling them saying, I'm not kidding. I called them right away. And I said, you got another game. <laughs> you, know? you got addicted. Yeah. I was really and I, addicted I, to it. Yes. You're right. Yeah, uh, this is so awesome. Uh, you you may remember it when I say it, but I, I want to make a point of this. I actually had a note about it. Um, 1990, January, Whirlwind's released. August, Radical, November, Funhouse. And I'm sure you were working on this maybe the year before, year and a half. Did you have time to do other clients with all those games? I, If I looked at my ledger book, Pinball at that point represented maybe 30% of my income. Oh my gosh, and that is amazing! I kept well. What, here's what happens: as an illustrator, um, it's it's very cyclical. So you can be really busy, you know, working day and night, day and night, day and night, and then you could go months without a job. And then in my career, I had two reps go bankrupt on me, and they owed me like six months' income. So I was paranoid about all this stuff. So I saw pinball, just like a. I heard this uh, analogy uh, about a business like standing or like a table you know, with four legs on it, you know, and I, I started seeing my business that way. I had a rep in Chicago. That was one leg, a rep in New York. That was the other leg. And then I had my own freelance stuff. And then I had pinball leg number four. You know? So I thought, well, if my rep goes belly up, which he did, you know, I, I still have pinball became more and more important to me, you know, financially, as well as just, you know, personally fulfilling because of that, you know, it gave me the freedom or just freedom from worrying, I guess, you know? <laughs> yeah. Let's say that same um, release schedule, you got loaded up with those, you know, three titles now, but we had a, like a pro premium LE or Jersey Jack, you know, standard LE and mm -hmm. CE uh, with the three different art packages. 
would would you still be able to crush them out in in that amount of time? Do you think or no? I can't. Yeah. I used to really. I'm not kidding. You know, if my my wife has passed away, but she could really confirm all these stories. When I was really going full speed ahead back then, um, I'd work two shifts. I'd work till five, and then I would knock. I always knocked off at five because my wife would say dinner is ready. You know, right? I go up and eat dinner. Then we do stuff, family stuff. You know, homework, whatever. You know, uh, baseball or, or a play or whatever the kids were working on. And then I'd go back to work at eight thirty, and I'd work till two in the morning. Um, um, and th- that's how I got it done. I'll tell you, you know, when everyone's gone to bed and it's in, you know, you got the radio or music going, it's calming. You know, you're just yeah. confident about what you're doing, you know. So that's you how get in the zone. Yeah, you get in the zone and um, uh, especially if you're finishing a painting or something, a back glass, you know, you finish it like two in the morning. You can't sleep. I couldn't sleep, you know, for like a couple Just hours. so excited. I so wound up, man. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. There's one game in that chunk in particular that I've, I've always had questions about, and that's Radical. Dan, I might butcher this name, Dan Leglos Lang- and Peter Lang- Perry. Dan Langloy. Langloy, okay. And Peter Perry, not two designer names we hear very often. The game had a really short run, and its art style is unique as well. It's a really a time stamp, as Pat would say, for, for that era of the 80s, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened with that game? What, you know, why such a short run? You know, I don't really know specifically, except Dan was a contract worker. He was not on staff there. Oh, okay. So, as a matter of fact, I think he was in California. Um, I remember meeting him a few times. Can't he come into town? And I I liked him. He was pretty easy to work with. So, don't forget, it's important to mention now that we were paid a certain amount to do a game, but then you got royalties, too. So, if your game was successful... And if, how it was positioned in the scheduling of, of like manufacturing, you know, um, that was really important. So it helped if, if you were there to kind of babysit your project and make sure that it was going to be released at a right time when, when buyers are ready to buy games, you know. And, and by the way, this is just me talking. I, you know, I'm not an expert on it, but I, I know how important that stuff is to just to ride herd over it the whole way. Like I remember with, with Pat, Pat Lawler at the very beginning of the project, like if I bring in loose sketches, he'd be running it up and showing everybody right away. And he <laughs> to Roger Sharp, you know, who was, you know, Roger was going to help sell that game or promote that game, you know? So Roger was involved right from the very beginning. That's a little bit different than Dan's game, you know? Right. Yeah. And it almost seemed like those guys had done some games for Bally before even Ward Pemberton, you know, he, he had done like, I think his last game was like Gilligan Mm -hmm. uh, at at Williams. It was like, was it a changing of the guard kind of moment, uh, you know, at the company or, you know, I, um, I barely knew these guys at the beginning. Gotcha. I'd seen Ward in the halls or in the hallway, you know, or something like that. And I was, I would, I would do a Pat Lawler game. And it only took me six months to do the art, but it took those guys a year to do it. So I would, I would do a Pat game and then I'd have six months to do another game from someone else. And they'd tell me who I was doing, you know, whose game I was doing. And, and I was glad to do it, you know, <laughs> I was sure. working with a lot of people, you know, with, um, and I enjoyed it all. Why did you have a longer cycle maybe for a Pat game? Well, no, I mean, every game, uh, again, this is just me and my memory, but sure. It took longer to engineer that game. So, for example, if, if Pat was doing a game, 
I wouldn't get called in at the very beginning. He might just call me in and say, this is what we're working on. We're not ready for you yet. So they'd be working on it, the programmers, Pat's designing toys in a play field, you know, for maybe six months. I'm just guessing on that, you know. And then I get called in at the, maybe, I'm just saying at the six month point or something, you know, and then I would have six months to do the artwork. And those are just ballpark numbers, you know. Um, so, you know, I could do, I, I could do, I could fill that gap with another game from someone else. I got you. Does that make sense? Yeah, you kind of, yeah, no, yeah, I got, it. I got the timeline now where you're, you're, you know, yeah, they're, they're in a, a year design phase, but you're done with the artwork and you can jump on another project. Right. And, uh, and keep trucking. So, um, had your confidence really grown by the time you got to Adam's family? You know, you, you had a lot of, some games under your belt, full, full game packages. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, um, I felt really, I felt good about my rendering skills at the very beginning with jokers. I felt I can do this, you know? Um, yeah, sure. But the whole pinball play field grasping it and working with engineers and programmers and all that, it was all brand new to me, you know? And I really loved it by the way. I ended up really loving it, you know? So yeah, I did, I did have that confidence and felt really good about it. You know, it's hard to think back that far to where I didn't <laughs> But at the beginning, like I well, I told you, it was scary at the very beginning. You know, I don't know if you know, but I did a I worked on a game for Bally in the '70s, old Chicago, and I'd been out of art school for like maybe two years or something like that, and I did not know how to do line art or like inking. You know, I was, I was strictly an airbrush guy, and I remember I, I worked with Dave Christensen. The way I got that job was I went to art school. One of my one of my best friends, Ken Cupiets, and we had an apartment together later. He worked at Valley with with uh, Dave Christensen, um, so he got me in the door to work on that game, and I, I I did not deliver the goods like I should have. And Dave ended up re-inking a lot of my stuff. He worked right over my artwork. It's my design for the art, but he came in and reworked the ink as he should have done. You know, I don't have any hard feelings against them, but that, that kind of spoiled pinball for me for about 10 years, you know, and by the time I got called in, it was pinball was no longer silk, silk screen back glasses. Now they're like full blown paintings, you know? <laughs> right. So it had evolved. I'd evolved. Um, I could do, I did a lot of inking in my artwork for happy meals and things like that, you know, so I was comfortable doing that too. Right. A little detour. Yeah, no, yeah, super interesting. And uh, I had a, did have another question on Adams. That original kind of foam back box you mocked up, what was different about that? Yeah, you know something? That, I remember that, so I would have been working on another game because Pat wasn't ready for me yet, but he, I got called in by him to build that. And in my mind, it was a lot different. But when I look at it, I'm thinking, what's different about that, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. That's what I was curious about. It was supposed to be more like a building um, than, than the than the end product, you know. So I'd have, I'd have to have it in front of me and look at it because I remember asking the same question to myself probably at Expo last time I looked at that and thinking, Why, what's different, you know? <laughs> yeah, it almost looks like some of the windows are like more defined or something. I think the windows were going to be mechanical instead of just illuminated, you know. Yeah, that would have been cool. For sure. like that. Um, I'm trying to think what the inspiration was for Pat. Up, up in Wisconsin, there's this place called House on the Rock. And anyway, there's a big museum there. Of, I can't remember the guy's name. Um, he's very, he's a genius, like a creative genius. 
and he had a lot of these automatrons and mechanical boxes with moving parts in them and stuff like that, you know. And it was endless. You go there and you you go through it for like three hours, you know. Wow. And Pat and I were both big fans of that place. The guy's name was Alex Jordan, who created all that. Anyway, so I I think I I'm thinking that's may have been the trigger for that. Yeah, that makes sense. I got to look that up. I've never heard of that. Yeah, House on the Rock, Alex Jordan, I'm pretty sure was the uh, the guy's name who did that. And as a matter of fact, on American Pickers, they picked it when the family sold all the stuff there up there. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah it was it was a bizarre place. Yeah, it sounds really interesting. Huh. Um, so moving, this is my personal favorite, and I think it's your favorite, um, Twilight Zone. The, the, the back glass on this game is, in my opinion, the single greatest piece of pinball artwork maybe twilight zone artwork ever well, thank um, you <laughs> yeah i mean are, are you a big fan of the series because i always wondered that i always wanted to ask you that oh yeah I, you know i think everybody was you know and, yeah um i remember again i was working on, a, on another game and pat saw that i was in the building and he says stop by and see me you know so he calls me in his office and everything is locked up because remember the whole royalty thing now you really want your game to sell a lot, you know? So if right. you had a great, unique idea, like with Funhouse, say, where we had the talking head, you know, he wanted to keep that secret so nobody else would get the jump on it, you know? Right. And I remember that day he called me in to talk about Twilight Zone, and he'd, and he'd say, what would you say if I told you we could get the Twilight Zone license and do a Twilight Zone game? And and I'm like a little kid jumping up and down, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so I don't remember when it happened, but we I know that uh, that was the Viacon had the license, as I recall. But the Carol or the Rod Sterling estate, he had passed away. So it was his wife, Carol. We had to please. That was I remember we had to get it past her because she didn't I don't know if she didn't know much about pinball or what, you know. So he wanted me to do just a rough pen, a pencil sketch. I think I had like three days to do it, um, just showing what the back glass could be. And I went out and I bought the Twilight Zone Companion, that booklet, you know, or the book. And by the way, and it was on TV, so I was like photographing episodes with my 35 millimeter camera, you know, <laughs> right? To get things, you know, and then just just sketching like crazy for three days, you know. And we sent that to her, and it's a small sketch. I still have it here in my flat file. And it came back and she just made once and she liked it. First of all, she bought into it, you know, and I'm sure Pat was pitching. Of course, he was pitching things we're going to do in his ideas, you know. Um, and the only change she had was he had died of lung cancer and he had a cigarette in his hand, which he always did in the episode. It was like a yeah. permanent prop. She says, lose the cigarette and you're good, you know. It's uh, I always wonder, too, why, why, you know, after the success of Adam's family, you know, was Pat a big fan? And, and I also had heard that with the success of Adam's family that he had a larger budget for Twilight Zone. I don't know about that. <laughs> I honestly, oh, really? I honestly, yeah. Well, budgets were a big deal all the time. So at the, sure. very, at the very beginning of a game, there'd be a lot of stuff in the game. And then <laughs> I'm serious, you know, and then things would get cut. Uh, yeah. So what was cut out of the Twilight Zone? Well, I know on Funhouse there was a clock at the beginning. And oh. That's why the we lost the clock, you know, probably because, you know, Rudy was so expensive to put in the game. Again, I don't know for a fact. I'm just guessing. But that's why at the beginning there was a clock. At the end, the clock was just inserts on the play field, you know. 
it was a oh that's so cool and then i guess that mech was partially designed and it ended up in twilight zone that's right exactly right you know that's so, so cool um you know that's a wide body game right twilight zone yeah yep super pen so yeah super pen right that's one of the games that i want to get back <laughs> that i let go it's yeah cool. it's um, it's so awesome yeah it's it's a fun game i wish yeah. i knew more about them but I'll, I'll be honest with you pat to this day protects me from a lot of that stuff you know a lot of the <laughs> just the baloney it's not really baloney but business stuff you know uh, I, he doesn't want me worrying about it so much so and i appreciate that <laughs> that's awesome yeah it, it's such an inspired game from but it all starts with when you walk up to the game and you see that back glass. If you're a fan of the show, there's so many Easter eggs in it. Like I, I still to this day will just stare at it and and I'm like, oh, you know, there's that episode. There's you know, um, so many little references to episodes. Yeah. And speaking of of hitting hidden references, um, the ventriloquist dummy, which was an episode, but he, he's also kind of like Rudy. He's holding yeah. that detonator button. Yeah. <laughs> and you know that kind of started with Whirlwind, I think. Yeah. Is that and then Funhouse he's got it. Um yep. what what is the meaning behind the the red detonator button? I've only been asked that like a thousand times and <laughs> and I I would just say ask Pat, you know. <laughs> you should come up with like a different answer for every time. I could make stuff up, you know, but um yeah. It was you know, it was just him having fun. That's so funny. And yeah, it's, it's just kind of a, a rolling gag and then it's his company design now. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, I looked at the back of Willy Wonka, and there it was at the bottom. I was like, "That's so funny." Um, <laughs> oh man, yeah, it wasn't dialed in. Like it wasn't dialed in, but I don't know if you can see it on the back glass because um, there's some non-visible areas. But I had it in the back glass. I don't have a dialed-in game here. I look, you know. That's that's a great shooter too. Well, I, the first person I actually interviewed for this series was uh, Tom Capera, mm-hmm. and. He, he was super nice, great guy. And he said when they first started talking about Cactus Canyon, they were like, we got to get John to do this game. And then um, Matt, you know, the software uh, designer on that game, he said you were the most talented person he'd ever worked with. And, and ever, <laughs> ever since then, I was like, I got to get John on the show, you know. And it took me a while to track down a Cactus Canyon to play one. Um, you know, not many were made. And when I did find it, the first thing that really struck me was the, the head decal art. Did you write the help wanted ad for that? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Well, you know, that was a fun game. Well, they're all fun games. But what I remember about that game was everybody else is working on uh, the big kahuna, Star Wars. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't. <laughs> so, You're right. I, I wasn't. So for a change, I'm on, I'm on the outside. And by the way, I couldn't even go in that part of the building. You know, that part of the building was roped off. And for good reason, like, um, George, I don't know, George Lucas, whoever, um, they really guarded their license. And there was a company in Chicago called Tiger Electronics. They built little mini electronic toys and stuff. And they, this is a story I heard anyway. And one of their artists, they had that license. The, one of their artists leaked something out and Lucas pulled the whole license away from them. They lost the whole thing over that. Wow. So that was the story we were told anyway, just to say how important this was, you know, it was going to save the company, blah, 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 you know. So anyway, yeah. they were all doing that. So then we have our, and it was like nobody paid attention to us. <laughs> <laughs> and I knew all these guys just because hanging around, you know. Um, so it was, 
it was just fun to work on with it seemed like we were creating this whole thing nobody was paying attention to us and we were going to really we're going to really hit it out of the park you know and, and nobody may even notice but we're going to do our best on it you know and yeah so we had we had some really fun meetings and um it was good to work on it I, I they didn't make enough because it was at the tail end you know and yeah, we, we didn't have the clout like i how i explained to you with pat walking around you know just shopping the game and everything to everybody you know, getting them all in a lather to buy it, you know, or whatever. Uh, we didn't have that going for us. And then we were competing. And it was just the end. It was the end, you know, of everything. Absolutely. So, unfortunately, that's what happened. Yeah, it is unfortunate because it, it's it's an awesome game. And, man, the the colors you used on on the, the head decals especially, it's just gorgeous. I mean, the oranges and um, it just really catches your eye. And it's uh, it's such a fun game, um, you know, just from the the kind of the characters you create help create. I, I'm sure Tom and everybody had banner back and forth, but the artwork bringing them to life is a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. Um, as a matter of fact, I have a photo here in my studio. I'm looking at it now, and it's um, the reference shot we did. And I'm talking like my wife Jenny and, and my my kids. They were they were models, you know, and I was a model, and I, I have like a revolver in my hand and I'm holding my son Charlie who's like about 11 in this photo and and in reality I had to swap him out and he became a girl you know right but that that's sitting right here um, that's cool on Whitewater did you contribute to the topper I know Greg Ferris kind of worked on that as well um, that was Greg's brainchild he figured it out um, how to do it mechanically how to make it work and um, I remember going in there and meeting with a vendor and I, I just painted it, you know, it was my job to paint it. Greg had a, a sketch, kind of like just with medieval with medieval madness. He had a really good right. sketch for me, you know. The mind work, the brainstorming part uh, was already there. I just painted it. Yeah, you know, what's inter interesting about that topper is nobody's been able to kind of recreate the foil that the original one had. I'm not sure what that vendor mm. was using, but mm. yeah, it's it's kind of like unobtainium, you know, to get that really, really? cool waterfall. Of it. Yeah, yeah, it's wow. it's kind of become a basically people will avoid buying a whitewater if it doesn't have it on there. Uh -huh. And um, yeah, it's, it's just a hard piece to get if it's damaged or not intact or not on the game at all. It's, it's really difficult to find one. I'm not surprised um, um, to create that effect. I mean, that was, was built to emulate like, oh, what beer was it? Oh, it wasn't black. Maybe it was Blatt's or old Milwaukee. They had those tavern signs of a waterfall and, you know, above the bar. I don't know if you remember those or you've seen those. Yeah, I think I have. That's interesting. I never put that together. Yeah, that was the inspiration for that. And um, that's the way I remember it anyway. And as a matter of fact, I remember researching it like a couple of years ago. Just And they're still a popular item, you know, but our, our method of, of creating that illusion was different than those mechanical methods that they used. Sure. Um, we, I think there was a strobe involved. And yep, yep. I wish I remember more about it, but like Greg was handling all that. So it's like, I didn't worry about yeah. it. Just did the well, if Greg has a closet full of that stuff, he's probably sitting on a gold mine. <laughs> probably is, you know, I wouldn't doubt it. Um, Speaking of whitewater, I mean, that's probably one of the greatest, you know, world under glass games with the boulders. And was it, was it hard to create that uh, with, with how the plastics were on it, you know, not all of them are flat plastics. You know, you have to kind of work around mm -hmm. the boulders and, and Nordman's really awesome, crazy ramps. Uh, was, was that a yeah. difficult game to do? Uh, well, it was just a matter of paying attention to what I was doing, you know, and um, at the very beginning, I, Dennis always built these foam core models of everything. I don't know if you've seen pictures of them, but 
I, I, I had this vision right away of uh, creating this optical illusion of depth in the play field. And Python, uh, you know, a lot of people have done it, but Python really did it great on, on Jokers, my first game, with the stairway on the play field, you know, using perspective. Yeah. And so I remember drawing it. I, I really wanted it to look like that canyon was cut out of the play field, you know, just drawing it over and over again to get that the way I wanted it. And, you know, I guess it worked because you noticed. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it it's such a, you know, you, you immediately kind of get sucked into it. When you walk up on the game, you know, you have the Yeti, he's smiling, and it's like, it's such a fun world, like you just want to go play in it, you know? So when yeah. you look down in there, you're like, it's clear what you need to do. You're rafting, you know, all the way to the top, sure. and, and and yeah, it's it's such a fun game, and it, it kind of, it's, the, it's that original license game that everybody wants today, but people they say they want it, but are they really going to buy it? You know what I mean? Sure. You know, I remember um, Dennis Nordman. I never worked with him. So, but I, we like each other right at the beginning because we're both from Ohio. We both raced motorcycles, you know? And so I go in his office all the time, every trip down there and I just visit him, you know, and right. no, I wasn't doing anything for him, you know? And then that game came along. So perfect timing and everything and i was real excited about it and he's he's really hilarious to work with <laughs> he's really, is he he's funny and that's awesome he's, he's just a different way of thinking about things uh, i remember going out to his house and i remember because he's a car guy and he had a he's been working on this panel van since then like a like, <laughs> like an old 50s i don't know if it's a gm panel van. I don't even know if you know what it is, but it has no windows. It's, it'd be like someone that sells bread or something would drive that to deliver their bread. Oh, wow. And his garage actually had a pit under it, like you had, like you would have at an auto service place where they change oil. It actually had a pit so you could get down in the pit and like work underneath your car. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I had a neighbor like that. He had a Corvette and he, he had a pit, just, just like you're talking about. They don't... Um, they don't I, they don't make those anymore in houses. <laughs> no, no, it's very uncommon now. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, John, uh, I think we've hit the hour mark. Uh, I was, I was worried to, I may not fit everything in, but I, I did a decent job. Um, any, anything you'd like to add in closing? Maybe something you remember from any of your, the eras. Um, hmm. I mean, there's just so many things to choose from. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you a little one about um, Funhouse. Okay. I mean, and they're all like favorite games of mine, but I do have a couple of favorites. Funhouse is one for a lot of reasons, but I remember at the beginning I was working um, with Python on something. I think it was Python. And I got called in to Larry DeMar's office and Larry's, the way I remember this, Larry's office was almost right next to Python's and they overlooked the Chicago river. So Python says to me, and I didn't know what I was going to get. I, I kind of knew what they were working on because Pat was, like I told you, he'd work you. You know, he'd get you all in a lathered and excited about working on the game. Right. So I, I knew a little bit about it, but I hadn't seen anything yet. So Python, I'm meeting with him, and he says, he says, Yossi, he says, <laughs> you're going to go over there. Don't work on that game. Do not work on that game. That Damari's, you know, he's dreaming of something that no one will ever play that game. You know, and, it's, and later on, like when they were giving speech to Rudy, in Funhouse, like where he, he calls he calls the players' names, right? You know, right. And Python said again, this is like the third time he's he's like really working. He said, "Don't do that game. No one will put money in a game that insults you." You know. <laughs> and meanwhile, I went in there the very first time, and John Crutch met Pat's in there, Larry Demar, 
John Crutch and some other, I think Brian Eddy was in there. And I'm just like, I'm looking at this and I'm like going crazy, you know, the head was just strictly mechanical at the time, you know? And <laughs> I think they wanted me to do just some elevation or like profile drawings of a character at that stage, you know, to see if, to see if we could make a face out of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, man, I loved it right from the get go. And um, I was, I also remember that uh, Larry was telling me that he was going to, I don't know if Larry told me this, but they were going to teach it. They were going to teach it the system to, to, to talk. And at the time, this was just crazy to me. But now I know, you know, that's how you do things, you know? Yeah. But even, even now it's, it's almost kind of unbelievable that exists in a game, especially of that era, you know, that's I know. kind of, it's, it's just mind blowing, you know? I know. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing game. And it's one of those games that every time I see it on location, I'm like, I've got to play. Yeah, <laughs> you uh, know, just about everybody from that era remembers it, you know, um, just because of that, you know, it's yeah. very unique it, and, um, I, I have that game too. I have Funhouse here. And, um, it's not my original one. I sold the original one and then I bought another one that was, you know, like a Frankenstein game put together from two others <laughs> that had been oh, right. field, you know. So you said you had the Funhouse at home right now, Wonka, and then you said you were about to get a third game. What was that going to well, be? That's the game I'm working on now that I, I'm not allowed to tell you about. Although I think everybody, <laughs> it seems to me that everybody in the world knows what I'm working about, but I just can't say it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. I can't wait to see what is coming out. It's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I bet it's going to be awesome. Uh, it, hopefully sooner than later, but they've they've got such a, a hit uh, at JGP with um, Guns N' Roses. It may be a while. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to be up there in June, and um, I'm going to take a tour of the factory and get to see all that stuff. So I'm 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 really excited about it. Oh, awesome! Well, um, tell Ken, tell Pat, and Eric, I said hello. I will. I think uh, that that about wraps it up, John. Man, I, I really really appreciate you coming on. Oh, you're a good interviewer, so it was fun. Awesome. Well, maybe if I'll give you a I'll give you a buzz through Facebook, and if if Rudy still needs a little help, I'll come up and fix him for you. <laughs> That would be awesome. (laughs) We got to have him calling you bucko and slick and stuff again. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Well, John, I hope you have a great evening, buddy. You too. Thank you. Take care. All right. Big, big thanks to John Yowsey. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more from John, check out his 2019 Expo Seminar on YouTube. Congratulations to Glenn, Scott V, Lane Stroud, and Pat for getting last month's trivia correct. And for this month's trivia, I played music from eight John Yalsey games at the beginning of the episode. Name the games in order and the first person to get it right and email those answers to mtmpinball at gmail.com. mtmpinball at gmail.com will get a signed Medieval Madness art print from John. All right, thanks for listening.